This is a 980 CKNW podcast. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath, and the new year is practically upon us. And what is the most popular thing that people do in the new year besides go to the gym? They actually go on a diet. Well, may I suggest the Bio Diet, the scientifically proven ketogenic way to lose weight and improve your health, written by David G. Harper, Ph.D., with Dale Drury. And he joins me in the studio right now to give you some tips on how you can be successful in 2020 if you choose to go on a bio diet. The first thing I know you have to do is to buy his book, and I know that's available <laughs> on Amazon, right, David? Yeah, thanks, Marina. Great to be on the show again. Our book is available on uh, Amazon or any of the other online uh, retailers or in your uh, uh, big box stores. Um, so what I'm going to suggest is if any folks out there would like to uh, uh, pick up the book, or it's also in an ebook and exciting news. We're just finishing the audiobook. So that wow. will be out for the new year as well. And I would like to offer to your listeners that they journey with me in January. It's a 12-week program that uh, allows people to adapt to a ketogenic diet in a very safe and, um, and practical way that's sustainable. And I will take you through the 12 weeks on the show. So we'll start with week one early in January. And each step is about a week or two. And I'll be coming back and just giving you a little bit of uh, a rehash of what we just did and a little bit of prep for what we do going forward so you can, you can uh, start your keto journey on the bio diet. And, and folks can follow through uh, here, right here on this Sunday Night Health Show because yeah. you're going to come back each week and kind of uh, support people and help them through Absolutely. as well. So yeah. that's fantastic. I'm so glad you're going to do that. So what are some of the general tips for people who are unable to do that but want to make a change and maybe make it slowly, lose a little bit of weight, feel better? Uh, what do you recommend kind of as an overall summary? Well, I, I think you need to, the two key words are planning and commitment. So if you want to adapt to a ketogenic diet, this is a low-carb, no-sugar diet. So right uh, after Christmas is a great time to start because we've just been through the festive season and you've probably over-consumed some of those things. And people like to start the year afresh with a new plan. So uh, essentially, we're gonna, you're going to plan ahead. You're going to make an appointment with your physician. We're going to talk about how you uh, detox and restock your kitchen. And we're going to talk about some of the psychology as well as the actual meal plans and so on that allow you to safely adapt to a ketogenic diet and you will lose weight uh, and but the more important thing is you're going to feel a lot healthier because you're going to be a lot healthier and and I, I will say it's not for everyone so it's very important that you do follow the steps and the first one is to make that appointment early in January to see your physician and see if a ketogenic diet is right for you and make sure this is okay for you excellent advice what are some of the psychological blocks uh, to people not being able to start a new lifestyle plan shall we call this versus a diet yeah. or, or, or adhere to it and thanks it, it really is a lifestyle change i know the book has bio diet in it but it's really not a short-term calorie restricted diet you know to get into your bikini for the summer this is a lifestyle change that's intended to be permanent so it's a metabolic change. So there will be some couple of weeks that are a little bit uncomfortable. You're going to be giving some things up and you're going to be adding some wonderful things back in. So uh, the other thing is, you know, the, it's good to have a, a, a mate go with you in the process if you can, if your partner uh, wants to do it as well. That's great. And there's also, we're going to talk about some of the tricks about when other people tempt you with 
things and they say, oh, just have one of these little things that won't hurt or a little piece of pie. That's okay. So that real commitment allows you to be sustainable. Absolutely. And that's so challenging. And as you say, we've just gotten off the sugar high of the, <laughs> of the uh, holiday season. And, um, and so this is a great time to start. Um, can people start this slowly? So can they wean off some of the toxic food, if you will, and then slowly introduce some of the um, bio diet type of foods? Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I'm really glad you asked that question because that's exactly the way the bio diet is designed. The first step of the bio diet, I call it bio preparation, is that easing in process. And we're going to talk about the two or three little changes you make that are quite easy to make uh, that sets you up for the little bit more tricky period, which follows the adaptation period. That's where you make that metabolic change. Once you're through the second period, then it's really more about sustainability. And that's, uh, I've got lots of good suggestions for people there. And, you know, I do want to say this is radio, and, um, but you live by this bio diet, Eight this ketogenic now. diet, and you're <laughs> very trim. I want to tell you all out there that he's very lean, very trim. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, and how do you feel? Oh, I feel great. Actually, I feel like I'm 20. <laughs> yes. Well, I think he's 30. but um, <laughs> A little more than that. You can almost double that. <laughs> okay. um, now, but the other thing is, will people feel better? Will they? Because we hear so much about inflammation these days associated with pain. And so for those suffering with rheumatoid arthritis or some of the other inflammatory diseases, and they seem to all be inflammatory diseases, even obesity, mm-hmm. can people feel better and have more energy and less p- chronic pain? Yeah. Well, I, the model that I use, the medical model that I, that I use, which I've developed is, is uh, something called the axis of illness, which includes uh, insulin resistance, obesity, and inflammation. And inflammation, of course, causes that pain. And the great thing about the bio diet is it addresses all three of those. So they're all reduced and they all make each other better over time. So yeah, the one, you know, I've counseled hundreds of people on this diet now. Uh, clinically, I work at the uh, BC Cancer Research uh, Center, the Trey Fox Lab there, and we work with women with metastatic breast cancer. But everyone that has been through this 12-week program says they just feel great at the end of it. And if that's all you get out of it, that's great. But you're very likely to also lose weight. And I can tell you, all of your markers for health are going to improve if the diet is appropriate for you. That's fantastic. And now you have a speaking engagement coming up. Is that in I British do. Columbia? Yeah, uh, in, in Vancouver, BC, um, which is where I'm from. Uh, the Gluten-Free Expo is on uh, January 11th and 12th. I'll be speaking, I think, around 11.30 or so midday, both days on the 11th and 12th. Uh, and I'll be answering questions. And uh, by the way, maybe we can have people phone in with questions as we're going through the bio diet on the uh, Sunday Night Health Show. That would be great too. Uh, so that's January 11th and 12th. And I'll have the book available for sale there. Uh, and, and my wife will be with me as fantastic. well. Fantastic. And she's the co-author here. How, uh, how can people get tickets? Um, you would, con- I think you can get them online. If you look up gluten-free expo, it's in Vancouver in January. I think it also is in, uh, I believe it's Edmonton in September and then Calgary next year. So That's it happens fantastic. sort of on an annual basis. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, David, thank you so much. David G. Harper, author of bio diet, the scientifically proven ketogenic way to lose weight and improve your health. It's an honor to have you in the studio. Thanks. So if you are, uh, kind enough to buy one of our books and you come to the expo, I'll be happy to sign it for you. And, and either that or the audiobook or even our website, biodiet.org, will help you follow along for those 12 weeks. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath. With the new year upon us, you're probably thinking, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to lose weight, and this is my year to meet somebody. But how are you going to do that? I wasn't quite sure, so I invited the matchmaker extraordinaire, 
owner at thematchmakerclub.com. Annie Cranfield, you've heard her on the program before. That's because she's an expert in this field. Good evening, mm-hmm. Annie. Thanks Hi, for joining Maureen. me. Thank you for having me again. Oh, it's a pleasure. So people are setting out 2020. It's a yes. new decade. Maybe they've got a new lease on life. Maybe they have uh, parted ways with a former lover or right. spouse. And this is the year they're going to meet somebody. What are some of the basic suggestions? People can get stuck in a rut. So what yeah. are your suggestions as an expert in this field, in the matchmaking field, for uh, to people who want to meet somebody? Well, I think starting a new year is always fun. You know, you always have these like hopes and goals and achievements that you want to accomplish. So I find, you know, at the beginning of year, everyone's feeling really hopeful, which is a great time to go out there and really put yourself out there. Um, a lot of the times people ask me, like, how do you meet all these people that you set up? you know, your clients with. My secret is I talk to everybody. So if you want to meet somebody, you really have to put yourself out there. You know, I would say, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Exactly. They're not going to talk back. Yeah. Well, I mean, most people do, you know, (laughs) if they don't talk back, you probably didn't want to meet them anyways. You know, everyone is polite. It's just, you know, see where the conversation goes. Exactly. I am one of those people that has been accused of talking to everybody. (laughs) It's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's good. And and, uh, so as you say, that I can validate that, that when you do talk to people, you do meet them. And I just love uh, people's lives and I love human behavior. So I love learning about them. Don't like to talk about myself too much, which is good. Um, Too boring. Uh, Everyone (laughs) else is exciting. (laughs) Um, So what are some of the other ideas that you would suggest to people? Somebody who's in a rut, somebody Mm. who might, you know, be a little sedentary in life, they're not accepting invitations. What are what are some of the ways that they can meet someone? Well, I think first of all, they have to be, you know, aware that they're in a rut. Because if you don't want to change it, you're just not going to. But if you have that wanting to change it, then just change it and find things that you want to do, you know, whether it is going to the community center and setting up yoga. I find that when you open up your energy the universe kind of attracts the people that you're looking to meet, but you have to go out there and really experience these things. It's like kind of like, you know, I want to win the lottery, but I haven't won a ticket or I haven't bought a ticket. It's like, well, you have to do part of that process in order to get to where you want to be. So um, I would say, you know, start trying different things. If you've always wanted to paint, find some kind of class around you, talk to people, around, make friends um, is a great way to do that. Um, you know, the look up events, not event, uh, what is it called? Meetup, meetup groups. That's a great way to meet people who are like-minded, who have different or the same kind of passions as you. Uh, so really, you just have to put yourself out there. Get out of your comfort zone. And, and you said look up, which reminded me of all those people out there texting. Mm. And they're not, oh, they're yes. looking down. They're look not up. looking up. Yes. Yeah. Think, if you want things to look up, yep. you got to look up. And I make a point of that, actually. When I'm sitting at a Starbucks or waiting for a meeting, I purposely put my phone away and I try to make eye contact with people. Yes. And I think being aware, like I know I've walked into places with friends and I've said to them, you know, that guy's looking at you Mm -hmm. over there. And they just made no connection Mm -hmm. whatsoever. And, you know, they're walking around like the ice princess. Yes. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about um, was insight, kind of that insight into somebody. So if somebody's in a rut, uh, they maybe they're not feeling great about themselves. Mm -hmm. What are some ways to start feeling better about yourself? 
Honestly, I would say start small. I find when you have this idea that you want to change, it can be really overwhelming. Like, where do I start? Start with little tiny things. You know, there was a great documentary that just came out about going vegan. You know, if that's something that interests you, try doing it for a week. Uh, I think everything is sort of like a thread. If you start one thing, it'll lead to the next. So just make small changes in your life. Start feeling positive about the changes that you are making and you'll You'll see how that will follow into different, you know, activities or changes that you might actually achieve. And nutrition is a great way to begin. Absolutely. And, and what do you think about exercise? Exercise is great. Um, you know, you start seeing a transformation in your body. You might start feeling better about yourself, more confident. Um, and I think, you know, when you are feeling confident, confident, people notice that it's like a glow, and they just. It just attracts people. Not necessarily, you know, that you have to have a six pack. There's actually a lot of girls that are not that into a six pack. You might be surprised to hear. Uh, but just feeling good about yourself attracts people. I think it does. You know, I, I met somebody uh, recently, uh, just it uh, was a, you know, particular person who, uh, you know, he didn't have a lot, but he was self-confident. Mm. And that, you know, there was, he had some sex appeal. Totally. You know, um, and, and so it was just, he was, he wasn't charming necessarily, but he was just nice. He was self-confident. He was self-assured. He wasn't even trying to impress anybody. He was just, and you know what? That is sexy. And I try I agree. and say that to people. It's that self-confidence, just being okay with who you are. You're not perfect. Yeah. Nobody is. But there's a lot of people out there with ego. Yes. And so they yes. present this big, bad, amazing person to the yeah. world. And on the inside, they don't necessarily feel that way. So. And people can see through that. They can. They certainly can. It's all yes. about energy. Ego's the size of Montana. If you have <laughs> one, <laughs> try Maryland. It's a smaller state. <laughs> uh, so uh, exercise and nutrition. And, and so basically being healthy like sleep, um, because that can affect mood. So do you recommend this to your um, clients at the Matchmaker Club. Yeah, I mean, when we start the process at the Matchmaking Club, you know, we really do a discovery of these, um, you know, the people who have hired me, my clients now. So we, you know, looking good, you'll feel good, you know, looking good on the outside, you'll feel good on the inside. So we have a stylist that we work with. Also, you know, a lot of people do online dating. I don't say don't do online dating. I think it can be kind of fun if you have the time, you know, explore it if you want. I can coach you through that. So we have a photographer that we also work with. I think sometimes getting a great photo of you can sort of mirror what you might not see about yourself and they start feeling good about themselves also. So right. maybe you do a photo shoot. Yeah, so not a great idea maybe to perch yourself next to a horse if you've never been on one. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're Probably trying not. to impress somebody out there that you've never met. Um, you make a great point about the stylist. I love yes. that because many people don't know how to dress. And yes. they don't, people don't necessarily know what looks good on them. True. You know, there's this one shop in my neighborhood that they tell you everything looks great on you. So mm. you have to have a really good exterior or firewall up. So yeah. you say, no, it doesn't, you know, <laughs> just because yeah. you want me to buy this. Yeah. And, um, you know, to have that again, it's confidence to say, no, this doesn't look good on me. Good. But, but sometimes, you know, a certain body shape or whatever, yes. your stylist can help. Absolutely. Cause love you that. know, different body shapes and, you know, especially for women, different cuts, it just, it's totally to do with the fit and the style. That's right. Yeah. And the color, too. The color. I, I mean, I don't know if you find this, if there's any truth in this, but my mother always said men love red. 
So I have, I have this long coat, um, cashmere and wool coat that's down to my ankles. And so I wear it at Christmas time. And uh, I was walking down the street the other night and some guy yelled out, lady in red. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and I find that if ever I wear red. Yes. Um, you know, so I don't know if there's any truth to that. Well, you know, I, I do think so because I also like wearing colorful coats in winter. It just, you know, everyone's wearing black. Everyone's wearing gray. It also, I think, speaks about your confidence to be able to wear like a really bright color when everyone else, it'll just set you apart. And so you grab people's attention. So, you know, if you're looking to meet somebody, maybe wear a colorful coat. Yeah. Or maybe a red dress, a you know, a dress. hot red dress, yes. I think. Is, but it comes down to confidence, it right? It does. Wear it well. Wear it well. Well. Have the confidence when you're wearing it. Well, this has been very interesting, Annie Cranfield. I love it. Uh, your website is thematchmakerclub.com. Um, how else can people get in touch with you? Uh, I am on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram. And I'm on YouTube. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining me in the studio. Thank you. With all these hot red tips <laughs> for how you can meet somebody in 2020. I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Hell Show. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath. Joining me in the studio is Nicole Garten. She's a lawyer at Heritage Law and president of Heritage Trust. In her dispute resolution practice, Nicole focuses on the restructuring of families resulting from separation and divorce, wills and estate issues, and family business. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio, Nicole. Thank you. Um, you know, I think something that would be very important for listeners across this country is what is basic legal planning and how can that be helpful and save money and reduce stress for, for people? Well, thank you so much for asking that, uh, Maureen. The statistic is half of Canadians apparently have no will. Wow. Yeah, it's quite something. So basic legal planning is a good will, an enduring power of attorney for finances, and it's called a different term depending which province you're in, but a document for healthcare. So what happens if somebody doesn't have a will? What are, what are the risks of that? If someone dies without a, a will, they actually do have a will. It's a legislated will. So uh, and every province has what we call intestacy leg- legislation. So it sets out who has the right to apply to be the court-appointed executor, which is called an administrator, and it sets out who is entitled to the benefit of your assets. But it could be vastly, vastly different from what you would have chosen. Exactly. Is that what they mean by the expression of it will get held up in probate? <laughs> or is that an American expression? Oh, something's... If you probate, that actually means you have a will because you probate is the legal process of recognizing a will. But certainly there will be delays because it's going to be what's called letters of administration is what it's called in British Columbia. And it's got similar terms in other provinces, but it will cause delay. It will cause stress. Nobody will have any authority to do anything until there's a court order. And the distribution of the assets could be vastly different from what you would have decided if you had done a will. And it may not be your wishes. Correct. Correct. Um, How about the will? How formal does the will have to be? Uh, Can somebody write a will down um, with a pen and a piece? Go old school. Write it down with a pen and paper. Have it notarized. You could do that. In British Columbia, we're more forgiving with that now. There's something called a Section 58 uh, document, which is a testamentary intent in writing. But that is a false economy to do it yourself. A, a simple will, you can go to a notary or a lawyer, is usually very inexpensive. It's one of the times when it is worth it to get somebody to do it correctly because the costs and 
of errors are significant in terms of not fulfilling your wishes or causing your family delay, stress, and expense. Absolutely. And so, of course, you want to have somebody who has expertise in this area so that they can file it appropriately and file it on time um, and lay out your wishes um, you know, as you would like them to be. Correct. And a lot yeah. of people these days have a lot of assets. Um, there's a lot of real estate in this country that is worth, you know, high value. And um, and also there can be conflict within um, a family in terms of, so you want to lay out exactly what you like. So I understand that. So what are some of the other basic legal necessities uh, that you would recommend uh, people need? So the will is important, but the other document that every single person should have is what's called an enduring power of attorney. It's almost uniformly called that across the country. And that is a document that actually really matters to you because it it applies when you're alive. So if you became incapable, if you had dementia or you had an accident or something happened, this would give someone the authority to manage your legal and financial affairs for you. So they could pay your bills, they can file your tax return, they could apply for benefits. If people uh, become suddenly incapable and they don't have this document, it can be very, very prejudicial to the person and also other people that they're responsible for because nobody has authority to deal with anything without it. Wow. And how about healthcare? What if somebody becomes incapacitated and um, they need a medical directive? You know, should that be put in place? And and at what age should a medical directive be put in place? So the... uh, Across the country, they have similar names. In British Columbia, it's called a Representation Agreement for Healthcare. And what that document does is it, it sets out who you choose to make your decision maker. And it also sets out any particular healthcare wishes that you have. So, um, so the event that something happened and you're rushed to the hospital, the person that you choose is the person that makes decisions. And if, you know, if there's a life-changing um, decision that has to be made, at least you've hopefully made some of your wishes known. One interesting thing is people are increasingly talking about MAID as medically assisted death, and that cannot be done by proxy. So some people are increasingly asking that. So if if people are choosing that, if they have a life, uh, soon life-ending illness, you actually have to have capacity to do that. And on the day of the procedure, you can't do that in in a healthcare document. But you could say, I don't want to be kept artificially, alive artificially, and things like that. Um, And so if you documented those wishes, your chosen representative would have a legal obligation to follow your wishes as they saw fit. Interesting. And, you know, we don't talk about death, life and death, really. Um, but we, in particular, we don't talk about death. It's a very uncomfortable conversation for people, yet none of us will escape that. Nobody has yet to do that so far. Um, and so that's an important conversation to have with your loved ones. And if you have a number of loved ones, they may all have a different opinion on you, uh, you know, and in fact, um, you know, boundaries within families oftentimes are non-existent, and so it's it's a person's own wishes that may they may bestow upon the dying person. So I think higher risk families where there's more likely going to be issues is blended families. So if you if you and your spouse have children from earlier relationships, or if you didn't have children, or if you've got um, family members that are estranged, those are higher risk situations where you really should have a healthcare document in place. So it's clear who has decision-making authority and hopefully you've had a chance to set out some of your thoughts. Excellent advice. Uh, Are there any other uh, absolute needs that Canadians um, should have in their legal file in their homes? Well, I don't know if this is a need, but I, you know, if you're, if you're getting married, certainly for a second or third time, or if you have 
uh, substantial assets when you are getting married, it would be prudent to enter into some sort of cohabitation or marriage agreement. And so it's while you're getting along and, you know, hopefully everybody's happy, you can set out what your expectations are. It can be an effective communication tool, actually, and what your expectations are for each other in the relationship in the event that it ended. And that document, if people took the time to do it at the outset, would save an enormous amount of expense and delay later in the event that the relationship didn't work out. And is that known as the prenuptial agreement? You're right. It's also known as a prenuptial agreement. Okay. Um, and, you know, very important, especially if you have assets and children, because, you know, I've heard of this on a number of occasions where, um, you know, an, an older gentleman may, whose wife may have died, marry somebody new. She has four children. He has three. Um, he dies the estate goes to her and her children, and his children aren't happy. Mm -hmm. um, and so that may have been a case where somebody didn't speak up, sign up, know about it. Um, so I do think that's a very important document as well. It is. So, yeah. And I'm it, no lawyer. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good part of uh, preventative planning. So th the, the thing about legal services is we are happy to do preventative planning for clients. And but what, what consumers should know is that you spend way less upfront than if you do than later. So good preventative planning actually doesn't have to take that long. It's actually really not that expensive. But if you die, if you become disabled, if you divorce and you haven't planned, it's going to be more difficult. It's going to take more time and it's going to be more expensive on the other end. That is great advice. Nicole Garten, Heritage Law, President at Heritage Trust. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio once again this evening. Always great information. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath. You've heard it before on this program. She is Teresa Isabel Diaz. She helps a lot of women. She is a NOMS certified menopause practitioner. She is the CEO and founder at menopauseed.org. Good evening, Teresa. Thank you so much for joining me on the line. Good evening. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, tonight I want to talk about, and I know in the past you've educated the listeners about what exactly menopause is, what are the symptoms, what can you expect. Um, tonight I want to talk about some of the treatments, the medications. In particular, a lot of women who suffer in their 40s, and you've mentioned that before, may go off to their doctor and they're experiencing hot flashes and night sweats and a lot of symptoms, other symptoms as well, cognition, mood, anxiety, and they go to their physicians and the physicians may say, you know, you're in your 40s, you're experiencing perimenopausal symptoms, I want to put you on oral contraceptive pill. And the woman often freaks out and says, I wanted more than that. What more can they expect? Um, so if they still uh, ovulating and um, experience periods, they are still producing some amounts of estrogen and progesterone. So uh, it, like in everything medication and treatment has to be individualized. So usually estrogen uh, therapy is the uh, most common, most effective treatment for uh, moderate to severe symptoms of menopause like the ones you described. Uh, and estrogen is available in the uh, birth control. So especially if women have um, uh, difficult periods if they are bleeding a lot, experience uh, heavy bleeding, the birth control is also good to uh, normalize that. 
And hopefully doctors are also educating patients or women about uh, conservative measures that they can utilize, like not drinking too much alcohol, self-care, exercise, layering, um, you know, utilizing a particular cotton sheet at night. Um, so hopefully all of those. But if none of those are working, is that next step for the woman in her 40s who's experiencing significant menopausal symptoms, vasomotor symptoms, um, the oral contraceptive pill? Or are there other choices as well? Uh, if, if postmenopause, um, women have very little production or hardly any of estrogen, so they can add estrogen therapy. And for women with uterus, they have to also use uh, progestogen um, because the estrogen is going to uh, stimulate the lining of the uterus so to prevent uh, uh, overgrowth of the lining, they need to take a progesterone. Uh, and that's the uh, typical uh, hormone therapy um, for women postmenopause. As you said, it's good to start with the basics. So uh, good nutrition, exercise, uh, minimizing um, triggers for hot flashes like alcohol and uh, sleeping in a cool, dark quiet room helps as well. Um, not eating a lot of sugar for some women helps minimize the hot flashes as well. There's a lot of things that can be done and it's usually um, a trial and error to see what works for each woman because everyone experiences menopause her own way and therefore they will have their uh, individualized treatment um, as well. What are some of the natural treatments, Teresa? There are some natural treatments, but unfortunately, things that are we consider natural, and so thinking about herbals and things like that, they don't have the studies and trials behind them like some of the uh, hormonal, some of the me- uh, prescription medications do, for example. So there's not a whole lot of uh, good information to say that these things actually work. But because there is a lot of placebo effects in menopause treatments, uh, a woman may start taking a product and may feel a lot of relief. And I usually say, if it does offer relief and doesn't cause any other uh, unwanted effects, good for you. You feel better. That's what's intended. Sometimes what happens is if, if the product is actually working because of placebo effect, it might stop work a few months afterwards. So then they can try something else. Um, there are a few products. That have more that we have more experience and more science, um, some more information than others that are available without a prescription. And some of those natural products are, are black cohosh and ginseng and chaseberry tree and red raspberry leaf, red clover, don quai, val- valerian, licorice, um, or some of the natural sage, yes. sage yes. are kind of some of the natural things that women have reported to me that they have tried. Um, in mm-hmm. their menopause. Um, how uh, fearful should women be of estrogen? And I think we need to continue this conversation at another time. Yeah, but, that uh, will be another hour. Yes, or, but, or two. Um, the the, the uh, consensus now is that if a woman is healthy and she is younger than 60 years of age and, she, um, and, uh, and she's within 10 years of her last menstrual period, so under 60, within 10 years of the last menstrual period, the benefits of hormone therapy should outweigh the risks if, if the woman is healthy. 
but a conversation with her own doctor um, is probably critical yes. in that decision. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And if she has any medical conditions, then she definitely has to assess all that to make sure that the, the, the therapy is more beneficial than risky. Teresa Isabel Diaz, thank you so much. CEO and founder at menopauseed.org, NOM-certified menopause practitioner. Thanks so much for joining me on the program this evening. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye now. I'm Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa HD radio at 101.1 FM HD2 and on the AM dial 980 CKNW.